0: Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of uh, Blueberg Intelligence' Tech Text- Disruptors podcast. Um, it's a pleasure for us to have back uh, the CEO of Informatica, Amit, and uh, it's it's so much fun we had uh, with him last time. We wanted to make sure uh, you know we have him back uh, um, uh, this year as well, and and you know. Without getting into a lot of uh, discussion around the hype of AI, uh, I let me just start off by saying, you know, how has over the last twelve months, uh, in your view, changed the narrative around everything artificial intelligence uh, and especially generative AI? Well, I'm First of all, pleasure to be back. It's always fun to talk to you, and you never you never make it very
1: easy. So I have to be we have to be on my toes all the time. I mean, look, I think it's an understatement to say that the narrative uh, today isn't anything but AI, especially generative AI, right? And I begin by saying this phrase, Anurag, and I said that in a couple of other discussions, that Gen AI, because AI has been there for a while, Gen AI is the new thing. is tremendously overhyped in the short term and massively underestimated in the long term. That's how I would it right now, if you talk about the, the conversation, because I think what happened is that we all saw OpenAI, GBT, leveraging the World Wide Web, which is publicly available data. Everybody, you and I can play with it. Everybody's, my kids are playing with it. So we believe the world will change tomorrow. But the reality is that, you know, some parts of the world will change tomorrow, but it takes some part of the world to change gradually over a period of time. And, and I think when I, when I step back, as I said, going back to my point, it tremendously over in the short term because we are having these conversations which are happening across the board. When I look at the word of enterprise software, when I sit, when I talk to the CIOs, when I talk to the CDOs of the largest banks or healthcare companies or retail companies, so on and so forth, I think everybody is focused on how do I leverage AI to transform my business? And I think everybody is right now dealing with the question of, hey, so what does it mean? Where are the first two practical use cases? You know, by the way, everybody's supremely worried about the ethical, governance, privacy concerns around AI. That's where the real world is. So I think what we are going to see is, in the next 12 months, enterprises are going to come out with their first two use cases. Everybody's tinkering with it on the side. First of all, right now, people are figuring out what is the business use case, what is the reference architecture. That's the phase we are in. As software providers, we have to lead the way to give them a vision, give them a product view, give them what's coming down the pipe tomorrow so that they can start playing with it. But I think you will see a very steep curve that will happen over the course of the next 12 months in particular, where you will start seeing actual, practical, enterprise-grade use cases being uh, executed.
0: You know, that's really, the. the I, I think the part of my enthusiasm talking to you was to understand a lot of this stuff because... You're right. The consumer application is a little bit easier because the large language model has the internet to feed off of in terms of the data. But when you when when I see different banks saying we're not going to use this in house or people you know questioning in terms of whether I want to train my 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 data on this model, what is the reality of it in terms of um, you know for a large bank? Um, why are why are they not keen on uh, uh, you know letting the data uh, being being run on the some of these large models? W- what has some of the feedback that you have heard? Plus, what you know, what does your own expertise uh, plus your team's expertise say about how, how this thing operates? Uh, so I think that that is a tremendously important question,
1: and I'll put this in three categories. I don't think that the enthusiasm is any less. But let's take a pragmatic example. Pick your top two or three favorite banks in the US. They're all banks. They all run a, from a distance a similar business, but they all have unique business models that differentiate them. What makes J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo, Morgan, is different, right? They are not gonna take their proprietary data, put it on the internet in some OpenAI LLM and go have at it, and suddenly their information gets commoditized. By the way, first of all, it's massive amount of strategic differentiation lost. Second is there is proprietary, ethical, privacy concerns, so on and so forth. So they all have to think, how do I take this and leverage it to my advantage? Feeding an open source model and giving it on the web does not make their business any better. So they want to take it to their own world and leverage it in the text of their business. Very natural, very normal. And that's where I said everybody's figuring out how to leverage it. They're all going to tinker and play with it and taking the worldwide publicly available data and throwing at it. So that's the first place. And, and that's where everybody is. When And the second one is that at the end of the day, there is AI models are important. By the way, what LLMs did is no different than the machine learning algorithms that existed in the last 10 years also at the end of the day. This is a step of function change to that, but at least it's an LLM. Now you can create the machine learning algorithm or the LLM. Now you have to feed good quality data to it. And when you look at an enterprise, actually, it further magnifies the problem for them that a typical enterprise has hundreds of disparate sources of data. In fact, it has gotten worse in the last 5-10 years of cloud. You and I talk about so many applications customers are using. And now, if first of all, the data is fragmented, how do I bring it together? Because the more I bring data into an LLM, the better the LLM gives me an answer. Second step is, it's not just feeding your data. Good quality data. Junk in, junk out. If you're going to leverage AI to give you true, actual, productive, business value answer, you better give it good quality data. Second step is going over there. Then you get some answer. How do I put some governance and ethical compliance and privacy veneer over it? If all of us are going to use it within it, you want to democratize it within an enterprise, it can't be the Wild West. That's what they're all going through. That's what everybody's dealing with the question within an enterprise.
0: It is so funny. I was smiling when you were saying that only because I gave the exact same speech to a couple of places just recently or talking about the the same problem with dis, disparate data sources within an enterprise that has been key to or the reason behind the the lack of the use of similar model in past years. Uh, let me ask you one thing. And again, Dana, perhaps this is just, just shows that I don't know much about the, the way some of these models work. If a particular bank... A large bank trains the model on their own data. Is that good enough, or they need data from you know other uh, similar banks to so that they can differentiate the results, or there is some benchmarking, etc. Because you know having it on the internet, it's easy because you have all the data in the world to come up with you know different answers. But if you're just going to give me what a chatbot write me is already giving, how's that different then? No, I think I think I think so. So it's a it's a good question, but there there is a
1: nuance to that one, and then, and I'll pick this up. But... Bloomberg. When Bloomberg pick all the data and put it on the World Wide Web on an LLM running by OpenAI, and then everybody can leverage it. No. First of all, there is massive proprietary issues of the information you carry. There is there is governance, ethical concerns. Second is strategic differentiation. I think what is going to happen is that, first of all, these these LLMs have first made the preciseness of the answer better. The time to get into the answer a lot faster. So those are the kind of benefits, let's not ignore, are massive. They are very smart models. They will let you do things that would have taken a significant amount of time and you would have still gotten imprecise answers. And because they run on a cloud, obviously you can scale up and scale down as fast as you can as you see the value in it. No business only uses just that data. Everybody leverages external sources of data. But you want to bring all of those pieces of data and bring it in-house and run it on your version of your cloud I like, wherever the LLMs are running for you. And that is where the battle is right now. By the way, there are certain things that may go to the World Wide Web. Now, let's take take an equity analyst. You basically look at all of the analyst reports that get published. That's public reports. You can put it in the OpenAI model on the World Wide Web, assemble all of it and give me what's happened. If you put all of the analyst reports that were written on Informatic, put it, it's available on the World Wide Web, put it on the World Wide Web, give me an answer of what's new for this company in the last six months. That's okay. But I'm not going to say, how do I understand how my customers are spending with me and where the up- cross sell opportunity is and where the economic uh, interest rate movement can impact their ability to spend with me. That
0: you want to do it within your set of data. So I think that's where you will see fragmentation of use cases. Then, then the way I think about it is, um, it's very, it, you know, <laughs> apparently the inference would be there are few people who would benefit most from the, the gen AI would be uh, the companies who are writing the algorithms, the, the you know, the, the Raj language models, the cloud providers that are going to eventually host them and, you know, where this will run. And the third one would be a lot of companies like yourself that are helping in data integration or data aggregation. Have you, uh, you know, do you think you have the product portfolio where you can help companies to bring all those data into a you know a, i guess a single source of truth as salesforce sometimes put it is, is that something that uh, you know is is a strand of your mind
1: oh absolutely so if you now now if i take you back a little bit so sometimes you know you have a vision for the industry and then industry not only evolves in that way that comes a step function change and accelerates in that way Eight years ago, when I envisioned our data management platform, which we call IDMC now, our my belief was that the world will actually get, in the world of digital, we'll get a lot more data centric, data will be a lot more fragmented. You will have many more use cases of data and you will need the ability to bring that data together and run many value added use cases on top of it, whether it's a single source of growth of a customer, whether it's governance and privacy, so on and so forth, whether it's quality of that data. And by the way, along the way, in, in 2018, we also launched our AI on the platform that we called Claire, because we believe that leveraging ML models to basically give customers intelligence in what they have will be critically important. So we invested in Claire in 20. And, you know, AI takes a couple of years for it to scale too. 2018, we launched, and by 2020, Clare was running on petabytes of metadata. And as we went walking into this year, 100% in the cloud, we only, our cloud workloads are doubling every year. That beauty of that platform that allows you to bring data from thousands of disparate places, whether it's on-prem or cloud, into one place, allows you to put quality on top of it, allows you to then put governance on top of it, and do many use cases in the middle, like single source of truth of a customer, or, oh, by the way, how my supply chain is working across an enterprise, or how my risk profile is if I have a security attack. That was our belief, and we see that that is paying off. To give you a good example of that, I'll give you two points. Our cloud platform doubles every year. At the end of March of this year, we were running 54 trillion transactions a month. That grew more than 60% year over year. Why? Workloads are going over there. And I see this Gen AI, all the workload, we are now just talking, you and I, in the next 12 months, that will be incrementally scaled to that. Second is when I look at my cloud business, remember I told you last that we are a company that have, I made the decision for the company, we were aggressively going down the path of cloud. And in the last 10 months, Anurag, we walked into this year and we are a cloud-only company. As in like, we serve a hybrid workload, but through the cloud-native platform. And my cloud business is growing 41%. It grew year over year in Q1. In a year where you talk about the world is still soft, we are still economic headwinds are still there. So we see those tailwinds to our data management platform, IDMC with a clear AI built into it, workloads expanding, cloud business. We see that and I continue to believe that this will be a tremendous payment for us serving a large enterprise that has a
0: very complicated fragmented landscape and they wanna simplify it. But perhaps let's dive a little bit into Claire and how you uh, envision this particular product and uh, maybe some examples of what were the capabilities of it, uh, you know, a couple of years ago or a year ago uh, versus now, and but more importantly, what are you thinking, how that's going to disrupt some of the work that you're already doing, you know, over the next couple of years? So, you know, if I if I go back in time, in 2017, 18, when we
1: had the, when we launched here, my belief was, you know, in that in, even today, in that world hasn't gone, we feel, we kind of almost talk about as if that history is gone. There were thousands of machine learning algorithms being leveraged primarily in the consumer space. You know, in Facebook, he used photo tagging, in Amazon, we, you and I used to recommendations when we go shop, right? And my belief was that those algorithms should be curated for the world of data management. And in the labs, we took those thousands of machine learning algorithms and started curating in Claire to services through our products. So I'll give you examples that we do today. What is photo tagging in Facebook is data tagging through Claire. Once you tag a piece of data, once I know this data is, let's say, supply chain, uh, a product coming from a particular uh, supplier in the context of a Unilever, and some new data comes in that is not tagged as that, Claire understands that that's that data, and immediately tag it, just like photo gets tagged by your name or my name. Same Second is what Amazon uses for recommendations, we're leveraging the same thing to give data analysts recommendations of data. If Anurag, you are searching for a certain data for doing some work, I can recommend Anurag, look. Have you looked for these three things that may help you? Oh, by the way, Alorak, do you know that Amit, who's in finance, just did a similar search and he leveraged this data set? You trust finance more, you leverage that data more. Recommendations. In data quality, there is a lot of pre-built rules. We leverage NLP. A lot of business users are coming in. For them to use NLP to type in plain English what data quality rules they may want and it becomes technical under the covers with the help of Claire. That's the kind of stuff that Claire is doing today across the platform. By the way, that doesn't stop. That is still incredibly important. Now where we are going is that, in fact, at this year at a user conference in May in Vegas, uh, Informatica World, we announced Clear Copilot and Clear GPT. Where we are going forward with that is that, as an example, we're going to leverage the same LLMs. But you know there is an LLM from OpenAI, There is an LLM from Google. And there are many other LLMs coming. Our job is to take all of these LLMs and curate it for our customers. So now what they can do is, we're in, con- by the way, there's a customer who has a large healthcare provider that does insurance claims. And with the help of data quality in the past, they were able to remove quality errors in the processing of returns. Now we are working with them to take, the, as they are leveraging the LLMs, and we are basically treating the data quality rules on those LLMs for the LLM to just completely run away with it and do the curation of a, of a let's say, a fraudulent return or an erroneous return. And we are seeing the error rates go down by more than 90%. So imagine that. So, the, the you know, in some cases, the fraudulent returns is a cost to them, that's a bottom line profitability improvement, or lawsuits for them. So that's the kind of stuff that we have been doing and we are now going to do. And in co-pilot, by the way, a lot of business users walk into the business and some of the data management tasks can be complicated. Basically, we're giving a Copilot for them to say, here, this is, we'll tell you where to start. I know, by the way, you started something. Hang on, hang on. We'll tell you the three things you are missing. Basically, it's your personal assistant. Claire is your personal assistant. And now with even one third of the knowledge, you can do the task, a complicated technical task that you could have never assumed. That's the kind of
0: stuff you're doing going And You know, for a, for a, from a customer's point of view, when you when you do offer it and talk about it, see, the, the way you have pitched to me that the ROI is a very easy one for me to understand. But I'm sure in the current environment or in any environment, you have to go and, and you know, fight for dollars for uh, that particular uh, you know piece of it so you take tax to the next you know let's say hospital or a healthcare provider why why would somebody say that listen uh, this is okay but i but i don't have the money for it because one of the things that we see is it's gonna, as you said it's going to take a while before some of the the adoption rate improves in 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 some in these technologies so what are some of the pushbacks that you get you know from uh, from the clients or for that matter what are some of the technical pushbacks yeah, so I think that's why I said it. Gen AI is tremendously
1: overhyped in the short term. And and why I say the overhyped word is that every customer of mine has is having a conversation with me. Because they need to figure out what to do. How what is the first use case? How do I scale it up? That conversation is happening everywhere. And in that context, what customers what customers are talking to us is that, okay, first of all, who are the visionaries in the space? So every part of the tech stack, everybody has somebody who, yeah, this person can do something is visionary. In our world, we've been doing clear for the last 20 years and now we already announced clear GPT. So they wanted okay, now explain to me what I can do with it. No. Number two is that actually it further exposes to them the issue of standardization on some kind of a platform so they can start getting things done faster, better. Those become the conversation elements for us. But you're right. It's not like everybody's everybody has not yet made their investments as of yesterday or as of today they are happening and they will continue to happen but in the enterprise world in the first six to nine months everybody starts saying okay who are the partners on whom i can count on who can help me take 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 me through this who are the scale partners with whom i can bet on Who have the innovation chops who have the ability also to do it at scale who also, by the way, have a partnership ecosystem around them. So as an example, you talked about the partnerships, like our deep partnership with an AWS, in our case, with the Switzerland, data whether it's AWS or an Azure or a GCP or a Snowflake or a data, we partners with all of them. So our customers are picking and choosing all of them in different ways. We partner with the app stack or the BI stack. So then they say, okay, this company also has tremendous partnerships. So everybody is right now working on figuring out what is my roadmap to get something done. And we are in those discussions, active discussion with our customers. And the beauty is, because our platform is 100% consumption pricing based on Iraq, our customers can pivot workloads A, B, C very quickly without having to come back to us and transact, again. Okay. hey, you bought consumption dollars, go have at it. In fact, if you were doing a workload and you want to do an AI POC or an AI experiment on the side, you can do it right now with what you have. That removes any friction for them to test things out. That's where we are with our strategy, the conversations we are having. But I'll, I'll end with this. In all my conversations, like I said, under the covers, a lot's happening. Enterprise climate is still very reserved. It's not like enterprises are spending with their wanted open. So you know, they're thoughtful, they're careful, deal cycles are being reviewed, scrutinized, much, much more elongation of deal cycles. Certain categories, customers have made up the mind, I have to invest here. data, all things around data and AI is one of them. Security is another one of them. Those are certain categories where people have made their mind that this is, If if I don't invest here, I won't be left behind. And there are certain categories that are actively cutting on to fund this. That's what I said, under the covers, you see this movement between A and B spend categories. On the surface, you would then you see a very small increase in a year like this, but we see absolutely data, AI, and security as the areas where shift of spend dollars is happening.
0: You know, so you know, very well put. Uh, I mean, but you know, when when I look at the macro space, and uh, I, I think if I go back almost five, six, seven years, software spending has just remained so strong. This is the probably the first weak year that I have seen in a very long time, and uh, you know, recent comments from uh, the largest system integrators are telling us that you know new project funding is is very low. People are cutting back, you know. Whether it's the it's the telecom vertical or the, sorry TMT vertical or even banks, uh, you know, uh, are, are pulling back on that. You know, when you're talking to them, how do you convince them that I mean, apart from the the buzz around Gen, Gen AI, that investing in your stack or the data stack is is has a highest ROI, other than you know some of the other SaaS systems that they may be thinking about investing. So two things are happening.
1: And I think, as I said, both statements are true, but they happen, uh, they they coexist. In the last five years, when there was somewhat free money around, customers spent on many nice-to-have projects. And you can see many, 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 many little, little companies got some revenue for it. That's going away. Absolutely going away. There are no nice-to-have projects anymore. Every CFO is massively scrutinizing their spend budget and saying, hey, is this a mission-critical spend or not? So that is absolutely happening. And that's where you see the software spend getting uh weakened because nice to have spend is going away. And you and I know in the last five, ten years on Iraq, so many you just look at the VC funding and look at the number of startups. Everybody gets to 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars of run rate. They are all getting by. And if you add anything below fifty million dollar run rate and you can easily get to at least trillions of uh, at least trillions of dollars of spend, that is getting fired. That's one thing without, like I said, movement of some spend going from category to category. Second is, irrespective of every customer. By the way, I just spoke to a customer this week. And you know, we sell it sell to business and we sell it to IT people. This is a CMO of a very large company in UK. And he basically was investing in our uh, MDM and he wants to build a customer 360. He so said he wants to get a single view of his customers and the product they buy. And his take to me was that, I my entire business strategy will not. I got a strategy. It can't happen unless I have this piece of technology behind it. And that's where the question becomes: that like, is your technology driving growth or productivity for a business? Simple as that. And right, last I last I checked, not a single customer has ever said to me, you know what? I'm not going to be a data driven company. Not a single customer or a board member said that to me. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to cut from some areas to fund some
0: areas. That
1: we absolutely see.
0: Absolutely right on that. And then from the data side, another thing that has, I would say, surprised me a little bit. And again, uh, you know, public cloud services are pretty good. And uh, we have seen, again, over the last seven, eight years, a massive uh, growth rate, dollars, the whatever you can call it. But being consumption driven, this year we saw a massive deceleration in terms of growth rates. And I was just reviewing it and, and uh, you know, even for companies like Microsoft, the growth rates has just plummeted. you know AWS is, has gone down to a level that I don't think they've ever seen before in their lifetime. What is your take on, what's happening really in the public cloud environment? And whether the software industry should be even thinking about a consumption-based model, or you know, try to alter it out, would love to hear what you have to say about it.
1: I think, I think, uh, I think it's a it's a brilliant question. I would say that the consumption model is here to stay, and I'll tell you why. Because it's the best model for customers. If you and me are customers, I want to basically see exactly what I... In the old days, when we all used to, there was twenty years ago, when it was only licensed software, the perennial problem would be, oh, I buy all this stuff, but. It, now, I don't use, let's say, 20% or 40% of it. I I can't figure it out. I, I'm licensed in a very complicated way. I cannot even undo it, right? Because customers get these crazy discounts under the covers. You buy a whole portfolio. Large companies like SAP, Oracle, have that, that's what they used to do. Large companies, yeah. it's so transparent. You know what you do. You can dial up, dial down, right? So I think that... The, Consumerization of tech, the one thing that people think of consumerization in tech in the context of UI, UX. I think of consumerization of tech in the context of pricing models. That's, I think it's addictive. I don't think that's going away. Whether people may add modules on top that are non-consumption driven here and there, blah, blah, like could happen. But I think we are not going back from consumption. Period. So that's your that's understanding. And I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It will not be a great thing for software vendors, but it's a great thing for customers. And once you give our customers something that's good for them, you, you can never take it back. So I think that's a good thing. Now to your first question on consumption models under being under stress this year. And I think it depends upon who is there in what part of the stack. Also, we are not seeing any slowdown of consumption. I shared with you in by the way, each quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year, our consumption of our IDMC C platform grew. Whether it grew 60% year over year or it grew 70% year over year or it grew 100%, it grew. it grew more than 50% period. By the way, it grew more than the growth rate of our cloud ARR, which is a good thing because it tells you that customers are using your product more and there is more leverage in the business in the future years. Right, So I'm happy with that. If my business was cloud ARR was going 60% and cloud consumption was growing 40%, I would be worried. That's not the case for all. So to give you the number, in Q1, my cloud ARR grew 41% But my cloud platform's consumption, the transactions per month, grew 60%. So, we don't see that. And I think and the reason for that also is that you asked the question because, see, the large providers are also in different parts of the stack. I'm in storage, I'm in networking, I'm in hardware, I've been using, uh, like, I sell Excel on top, I sell our office, a lot of your layoffs happen. So, everybody has different dynamics. We are squarely in the data stack. Volume of data is increasing, complexity of data is increasing, you need more quality. In fact, we just had this conversation about Gen AI. It increases the importance of data, good data from all places. We see that. And I don't, and by we also didn't go through crazy hockey sticks. We were growing 200% and then we go down to 20%. We're very steady eddy. So those, long answer, but that's what we see. And that's how we also built our platform.
0: You know, as you're talking to your customers, do you see any hesitancy on public cloud uh, as a business model or anything or... Uh, do you think this is just uh, the face a growing pains? I was talking to a very, very large bank,
1: top three bank in the country, and, and we had a good question about, you know, I think barring a hand, take a Facebook as a company. They can run their own cloud. they scale, it. I mean, so I if I take to the example, because they, they they can build their own servers, they can build their own networking, they add their own network stack also. Blah. How many companies like that exist in the world? In our world. Hardly feel. You can count on your fingers, right? So the majority of the companies don't have that scale, don't have the skill set. And thirdly, if you look at the software vendor landscape, everybody's innovation is only in the public cloud. We can't turn around and say tomorrow take that same innovation and make it on-prem. That doesn't happen like that, right? So and I, and I, and now we are talking about Gen AI scaling up and down. So I think that ship has sailed. Uh, I think what will happen is the hybrid. World, I call it multi-hybrid. What I think uh, customer, What I think, where everybody got caught up is that the world will be only cloud. I think the world will be multi-hundred. hybrid. is some amount of ground that will have its place. There will be multi-cloud, much more multi-cloud, because what happens is that if you get stuck with one cloud vendor, you again have a lock-in problem, and you want scale to compete. And by the way, some are good for some workloads also. You will have that, but I think that the world going, going towards cloud, it coming back to on-prem, that ain't happening. By the way, Alora, cloud has just started. And stack moved a lot faster, but
0: the rest of the cloud stack is still
1: moving. Not yet moved.
0: I'll share something with you where I said the exact same thing. So I, I, that's that's another reason I'm smiling. Glad I passed that test. I didn't say something different. <laughs> no, I mean I, I I always like to test, so make sure that uh, if you have a thesis, you got to oh, always see, see. I come from what we what we believe in, and I
1: talked to you know I was in, I was in London, Paris, I was in Germany. I was in New York. I was in DC. I go around and I've been on Zoom calls. with. Bob. I'm talking to like hundreds of customers and I keep asking them that question. And I think so that it's coming from how customers think too.
0: No, fair point. And that's kind of my, the other part of it is I have always seen, you know, going back to even 2000, that every major disruption in the market, whether it is, you know, the the big internet bubble or the, the great financial crisis, leads companies to change the way they think about IT in general and the debt that they have. When you are talking to some of your client base, you know what are they thinking about all the legacy you know debt that they have on premise you know um, and you talked about um, you know a hybrid or a multi-cloud world, you know how are they approaching this that which way do they want to go over the next several years? Um, are they doing a little more of uh, their internal uh, IT, uh, you know, stack? And then when when they are thinking about their internal stuff, how are they thinking about modernizing that as well? Nobody I've talked to has said
1: that. Hey, I am not going to cloud or I am not modernizing. That's a that's a hundred percent. Null said zero have said that that I am not going to do that. Oh, for somehow this economy made me rethink my journey to modern. If anything, every economic shift actually is a shift towards innovation you go back in time in and we we can we, you you cover the space a long period of time you go back 30 years by the way every economic cycle is a start of another innovation cycle and I, and I think that's what is happening right now that's what happened in 2008 there was an economic downturn look at how cloud grew from there so I don't think that the innovation cycle is at all taking any half a step back. In fact, it's going to take four steps forward. What will happen in Iraq is, in every economic cycle, this is what changes. You know, Warren Buffett said it very well, when the tide runs out, you see who was swimming taken. So, in every boom cycle, crazy amount of what I call wasted spend gets created. And companies that get funded in that, that, you know, necessarily are, I call them features, but not businesses, that's going to go away. That cleanup happens. And by the way, that's a classic economic cycle cleanup that you know, always happens, right? Look, you and I know every VC invests in a particular market. 100 VCs, they've invested in one company each in their portfolio in that market. 100 companies cannot succeed. Of that, only one or two can succeed. So that 98 have to die, which is the VC success rate, right? 98.95% plus that. I'm being very, very macro. Every in. Second is the issue that the customers face. By the way, we live in the New York and the Silicon Valley bubble, where every, uh, things happen on steroids. You go to Kansas City, you go to some other place, skills issue is a real issue. They struggle with innovation. The biggest hindrance to them innovating is skills. And that's what everybody's saying is that I want to, instead of having 20 little things running around, can I settle on one thing, have my skills around that, invest in that and innovate? skills is a bigger issue change management is a bigger issue that's what customers tell me when i talked to them they said help me can you train my workforce on your platform so i can scale on it faster that's the that's the bottleneck outside of silicon valley and outside of new york or outside of london
0: you know you did do bring a very good point that you know in a in a boom people do go out and experiment with new products you know, In your experience now with the, the things getting a little softer, have you seen kind of a shift away from point products to a, a big portfolio of company like yourself, where you sell multiple products uh, to a customer? Absolutely.
1: It's happening. And by the way, it's going to happen even more in the next three, four quarters. Absolutely. Everywhere it's happening. We are doing it. Hey, you know, I won't name my functional leaders. And, you know, I sat on that. Everybody's using CU. So, okay, a little here, a little there. The businesses can swipe a credit card, buy something. It's a little cheap below the radar on a PO, this, that, or the other. Gone. It's going away. And some of the cases, maybe you had the subscription till the end of the year. Maybe you cannot cancel it because, let's say, it was a 100K subscription. You got it at a sweetheart
0: deal, but you're going to cancel it at the end of the year. Absolutely, I'm saying that. That's that's kind of the the cycle of what we are hearing as well. Yeah, A big driver in your space, in my view, is massive workloads that are tied with SAP. And SAP is embarking on a massive journey of upgrading their entire, you know, product portfolio to the shift to the cloud, rise with SAP, and everything that's tied with it. Um, I mean, they have seen some incredible momentum in the last uh, several quarters, and, and you know, to be very honest, we were surprised by it, given that being a European company, they were able to still do, you know, fairly well in that transition, and it's going well. H- how do you, uh, you know, fit into it? Because they are, uh, you know, predominantly a data of record for a lot of companies. No, you, you're right.
1: Actually, you, I smiled as you were saying because um, can't name the customer, but I was there in earlier this year in Germany, and they were going through this SAP migration, exactly what you talked about and they invested in a multi-million dollar Informatica deal because that was a big part of their not only migration, but in the new world. So what customers are doing is rather, we have an old SAP campaign going on. As customers are doing the old SAP to the new SAP, there are two things they're grappling with. First of all, hey, I need to do this migration and it's it's all messy over there. Second is they created a mess in the old world. Now they want to actually have a clean uh, situation in the new world. And we actually are seeing the early traction. In fact, that customer, as I said, it was a large retailer in Germany, North Germany. And they basically said, okay, we're going to use your MDM to be the central source of truth as I create this migration. And then as I stand it up." on the other hand side, you sit next to SAP. You are my operational hub for single source of truth. They are my transactional back-end BRP. So we, uh, I think, and I think we saw that as I talked to a bunch of customers, we are we are going to ex- we are expecting. In fact, we're launching a formal campaign as we speak to, to talk to our customers. A marketing campaign. I am expecting to see that to be a part of our use case for sure. So again, this brings me to this whole competitive and the cool. By the way, SAP. just to just to uh, before I forget. See the thing when we talk about single source, it is a very it, it, it is a such a um, I to find the right word. If I ask you a question, I ask this question to every customer. What is a single source of truth for customer data?
0: You know, from my side, it is basically I'm looking at that customer. I should be able to see everything, where they spend the money, what their habits are, you know, everything around it. But is that is that Salesforce.com? Is that Adobe? Is that my ERP system?
1: Is that my case management system? Is that my escalation system? You see what I'm saying? That's the reality for every customer. They actually, customer data sits in more than 20 places at a minimum. Revenue management systems are not customer records. So, uh, by the way, our customer 316 MBM is is, is a hockey stick. And we always solve that use case for our customer. Now, if you are a CMO to run a campaign, I have all the information in, in Adobe as an example. So that's your source of truth for that. Nothing, by the way, that statement's accurate. If I'm running my Uh, forecasting and predicting from a CRO point of view, I'm in Salesforce. Very correct over there. That's a source of truth over there. But when you look at a customer single source of truth at the company, there ain't any. So when the customer supply chain, same way. Unilever leverages us over 96 countries to have a supplier 360. They onboard a supplier through us. They understand the supply chain through us because the problem is that they, they, they had 50 supplier systems running out. All important and interesting for them. But so the thing is, in fact, my belief is there will never, ever be a single source of truth for anything going forward. Never. I mean, at a broad state, you can have, a, in a segmented view, sources uh, uh, repositories of data. The thing that customers will need, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm going one step ahead, where our belief is with IDLC, our platform is that we are going to be the metadata system of record. We have all the metadata of an enterprise. Through that, you see where all the data sits. And when you want to do something, you can bring it do it, but let the data be wherever it is. Today, customers spend so much time moving data around. I move from SAP to uh, Azure. I pay money to SAP to take data out. I pay money to Azure to bring data in. You're just paying money to move. But the value-added work
0: is not happening. The value-added spend is not happening. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, which is what was bringing me to the next question. And you look at somebody like, you know, a snowflake or a data breaks, even, uh, you know, SAP talks about, they also have a, Common data layer where people can bring in data. Um, but I, and I'm sure you uh, you mentioned you work with all of them, but I'm sure you're competing with all of them too. So how, how does the, how does that work? Uh, 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 another another. Yes and no. So so the thing is the words
1: can be very misleading. Data governance. We do data governance, right? But uh, does a database provider not have data governance? They have to have data governance in the context of a database. When I am talking to CDO and they want to have data governance on the on, on, on layer at the top where it is the democratization of data across many sources of data, where somebody can come and use apps, that's a different use case. So sometimes you also look at these words that are very broad. I give you an example. We just made an acquisition, Privitar. Very excited about it. Basically, it does data access management, and the role there is as we are doing more and more of being the data platform, data management platform. Very careful. We're not a data platform. That's that's many databases and all first, want, let like, take this democratization of data. I want data access management. I want to have a framework to make sure that I know who Anurag is, I know who Amit is, I know who so on and so forth. By the way, in parallel, two months before us, Datakricks also acquired a hey. Data access management. They used to compete. They need it because they are also a data lake and a data player over there. They need it for that purpose. We're not competing with them just because we have part two companies that look because they are technologies both of us needed for our use cases. Access management. They need it for their use case. I need it for my use case. So sometimes what can be stating? So that uh-huh. number two, enterprises are fragmented. It's not about them and us. You have to look at what an enterprise wants. I'm using AWS workload over here, I'm using Azure over there, I'm using Databricks over here, I'm using Snowflake over there. Good lord. Am I gonna run pipes hundred times? And I'm going to data quality 10 times. What is the value, first of all? So enterprises look for a Switzerland of data. That's what we solve. And who does that? I invest R&D in that. Snowflake is competing with data bricks. They have to fight it out amongst themselves to have the best technology, lake house or, or a warehouse. I do data management. I am sitting over there. Thirdly, they always have a little bit of something. They got to have some connectors that I may have to. That doesn't make data management. So yes,
0: on the surface, it may look like that. The reality is never there. Got it. And then, you know, this is probably, uh, you know, the big part of the final uh, discussion would be around when you look out two to three years, what are some of your biggest areas of investments, whether that's through R&D or through acquisitions, um, you know, where are you focused on right now? So I think
1: think that that's, when I look at where the world is going, when I look at our, when you, so there, and there are two ways to look at it. What are our customers like an Uber or a Sanofi or a Gilead, these kind of, or Daimler's, what are they looking to do? And where we are also bending the curve of innovation. I've seen three things. First of all, the bet we made, Anurag, eight years ago, that in our market, it is a very fragmented market. There is the need for a data management platform. Customers need to simplify things. And as things get more complex in their infrastructure, they need simplification. That's paying off. And that is not going to stop. And that platform, by the way, is best-to-breed products, AI, and consumption. You can do anything. So that's number one. And I think I continue. And by the way, as spend consolidates, so on and so forth, that platform is just going to benefit. Just going to benefit. Second is AI. We bet on AI in 2018, it already is paying dividends for us because of productivity we drive our customers. And I think with 10 AI, we actually have a very big starting point three ways. Not only do we know what AI does and we can, that's why we immediately launched Clare GPT and Clare Copilot. Number two, we know that as we put that as a part of a product, it's drive consumption of our platform. Many, many more workloads will come with that like consumption of our platforms. And number three, who can actually drive more value from AI? Someone like us that has metadata, you need to run you need to run AI models on data or metadata. We have that on behalf of our customers. We can instantly create value. We are not AI hey, creating this one LLM on the air. Now I'm waiting for somebody to show up with data. So instant value creation. And the third one is our deep set of partnerships. We're not going to slow down. We are the Switzerland of data. We partner on one side with the cloud eco ISVs, whether it's Azure, AWS, GC, GCPs, hyperscalers, Snowflake, DataBricks. Uh, adobes of the world, Salesforce's of the world, SAPs of the world. And on the other hand, the large GSIs I talked about the skill gap, large GSIs have now created practices on us. Skills gap is going to be a big issue as new technologies come. And you know, they are the ones who are going to be the first ones helping customers implement those stacks, right? Yes. So if it's a Deloitte or an Accenture, they have Informatica practices and we want to train them as we train our customers because they will be on the front lines of de- deploying these things. So these, so innovation, the raw product innovation, platform innovation, AI, and deep partnerships on the ISV side as well as on the GSI side are important
0: things. Now this is fun. I, I just will will close with that. Uh, Accenture just said that they, I think, are going to invest three billion dollars and uh, eighty thousand more people in data and AI. So I think that bodes really well for your practice, uh, but we'll see how that shapes up. And you know, when you come back next July, uh, we'll, we'll see how the world is changing. So, you know, thanks again for uh, being on the on on the podcast, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Always a pleasure to be with you, Anurag. Wish you the best for summer, and look forward to the next one.